What up, y'all? Welcome back to Love and Grit. I'm Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. And yes, to answer your question, we are about to put you on to some Philly goodness today. Bilal Motley co-directed a short film with his nine-year-old daughter, Bria. We will tell you why that collaboration has garnered him the first Love and Grit Award at this year's Black Star Film Festival. Also, Amanda Schulman is bringing her skills birthed from cooking around the world to redefine the idea of a supper club done her way at her restaurant, her place. But first, around the Philly faves, and what is today's topic, Justin? What is your favorite upcoming event in September in the greater Philadelphia region? Listen here, we uh, have been talking about this for a minute. All we about us. to share. We about to we, share. Well, I, she knows what I'm about to say. I know, know what you about, about to say. say. I know what you about to say. But I'm about say to say it, the same thing. Say Girl, this polo classic, classic though. Yes. This polo classic though. The I'm inaugural ready. Philadelphia polo classic, September twenty fourth. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait. This Yum. is going to be the event and actually yes. one of many. That and I'm also looking forward to Philly Fashion Week. That so September, good. yes, there's a lot going on. Yes. I was going to say the same thing for different reasons. You know, champagne, dressing cute and good looking people. But everything that Rachel said too. And I also want to add the Kimmel Center is having an art show. So I'm really excited about that because they've been really doing some dope things. Shout out to the homie Stacey Wilson that been doing the parties outside. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yes, I'm sorry. So, Justin, what you what you looking forward to? I cannot wait to go pumpkin picking. That's my oh. favorite thing about fall is to go oh. out to the suburbs. Every year I choose a different farm and I like to do some apple picking Shut and up, pumpkin picking. No, I do. I'm, I swear to God, I know. Loving great road trip. Yes, I love a good apple pick. I'm ready. I'm down for that, Justin. Right? That sounds yeah. fun. Oh, make I just sure have fun. nothing to do with them once I get them all home. That's the problem. Well, Chef Laia, Chef Laia will bake a cake. I'm like apple pie and uh, apple oatmeal. I put the apples in my oatmeal. Yeah, we'll figure that part out for you. I do want to make sure we tell people, make sure you go to visitphilly.com to not only learn about the Philadelphia Polo Classic, but even great places to pick pumpkins, I guess, with Justin. Bilal Mosley seems unafraid unafraid to share his personal stories with the world through filmmaking. Most recently, he has shown that he is unafraid to relinquish half of his directing and storytelling responsibilities to his nine-year-old daughter, Bria, for their award-winning, excuse me, Love and Grit award-winning short film, Quarantine Kids. This fearless docu-short shows quarantine living through Bria's eyes and voice. Oh, and what a voice. But back to Bilal, because he's got more in store. From his film about uprooting his family to Canada to another Another story of his Chester high school track team and the obstacles faced as they head to pin relays. Ooh, and then there's another one about a black expat that moves to Paris and gets more than expected. Listen. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Can I tell you how excited? First of all, we loved your film. Thank but you. For us to meet you and Bria and for this to be the inaugural Love and Grit award that is taking place during Black Star Film Festival, which is so important, not only to our city, but the world. For those that don't know, the Black Star Film Festival, they showcase films by Black, Brown, and Indigenous artists from around the world. Mm -hmm. And so, Bilal, it was a true honor to meet you and your daughter and the work that you're doing. It's pretty impressive. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. You're a history maker. You're a Thank history you. maker. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> inaugural. I didn't even know Rachel said inaugural. So you will be the first of yes. many love winners at the Black Star Film Festival. Right. Yes, I, yes, I did yes. feel special when I, once I saw that. <laughs> so tell us, we'll get into Quarantine Kids, which was, you know, for this year. But you've been a filmmaker for several years. And one of the films that caught my attention was Midnight Oil. You caught them your brothers in the refineries. Can you tell us a little bit about why that film was so special to you? in addition to why you thought this was such an important topic for everyone to hear, but how it impacts Black communities as well? Yes, that's a great question. So for years, I've been trying to be a filmmaker as a screenwriter. Usually as a screenwriter, you're just waiting for someone to allow you to to make something, right? And I was frustrated. I left the refinery, which is unheard of. I left like a $150,000 to $200,000 job to go to New York and train under certain showrunners and stuff like that. But it, it didn't work out. So I was back frustrated. And it was a culmination of years of trying to do this. So it wasn't until that June 19th explosion in 2019 that I was depressed at first. You know, we we're going to lose our jobs eventually. It wasn't until that explosion, a light bulb went off. You know, instead of waiting for somebody to allow you to do something, pick up your cell phone. That's all I had was my cell phone and a gimbal to stabilize the shots. And I just figured it out. I didn't know what I was doing at first. <laughs> so I started interviewing my coworkers. It's about 1,100 of us in there, with con- including contractors. And yeah, just ask them questions. What is your experience? But it wasn't until I met the people in the South Philly community, in the Grays Ferry area. Mm. And it was a change in me in the film you see. They look just like my family in Chester, Pennsylvania, mostly uh, black and brown people. And there was a switch in me. I was like, I couldn't ignore them anymore. For years, I would leave the plant, go to my Martha's Vineyard vacation every year, every July. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm yeah. stuck up there with Obama with my Easter clothes on. You know I was figuring it was an office job Obama, you had. Obama weekend. Obama weekend. <laughs> but yeah. when he said 100, he said 150 to 200,000 yeah. at the refinery, I was like, oh, he was doing something different. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I would see them protesting occasionally. You know, over the years, I would see them like, and they would make fun of them. They're tree huggers or this or that. But it wasn't until I met them. I went to a meeting and said, let me figure out what's going on. Because I, I am concerned about climate change and listen to their testimony. I have cancer. My kids have asthma and uh, all the other effects that occurred from the refinery. I couldn't ignore them anymore. They look just like my family. And the weight of the people in the plant, some, not all, were talking about them. It was offensive. Like We had a, a closed like Facebook group for refinery workers, like a thousand of us in there. And the way they talked about it was coded language that I, I couldn't stand for that anymore. So there's a change in me in the film as I got to meet them and I couldn't ignore them anymore. On my way, I would see them passing the, the exit gate on the refinery out there protesting. I, and I ignored them because the place benefited me. And I was ashamed of that. And I had to be honest with myself, like, wow. You got to tell the full story. Don't just tell a refinery like glory story. No, tell the full story. And my friends, uh, (laughs) well, I thought they were my friends, received Mm. messages. They kicked me out of several groups online and I lost. There was like a thousand of us. We were like family. We were there every day. The place has never closed since the end of the Civil War. It's been open every day. And um, they stopped talking to me. It was it was bad. But not the workers. I bet the workers were happy that you put out. The black workers were happy. And that's what I wanted to ask you. What would you say the makeup is when you talk about diversity in that industry? Mm. Is it certain levels? Like, hey, you mentioned that you're in an office. So does that change versus the actual quote unquote worker bees? What does that look like? 
It's the same. The worker bees and the management, which I eventually became, I was union for 10 years and I was management for five, the last five. I would say it's maybe 1% women, maybe 5% African-American. And just wow. looking at the demographics of the city, especially as union, unions are the last bastion of mm. Jim Crow in America. So we were always fighting, especially the other brothers under refine. We we're fighting to get more people and they, you know, in our apprenticeship classes. So it was tough. So yeah, I would say it was about five percent African American, maybe one percent women. But the ironic thing, it was a woman. She didn't want any publicity, so I don't use her name. It was a woman who saved everybody. This could have been America's Chernobyl, but she says she saw what was going on. I was there that day and it happened around 4 a.m. I was just about to go to Max's Vineyard. <laughs> and I was like, this is my last shift. I was working a night shift. Mm. And she diverted the asset. If she didn't do that, this would have been a disaster of epic proportions. Wow. So, uh, wow. It would have been even worse. Can we just real quick talk about you? Because I have a feeling I don't want to say sec- second chapter. They have another name for it now. I forget where, you know, you just switch up what you what you what people have known for you to be doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So can you give folks an idea of your background? Because even though that's the case that you came from that background, you have writing experience. You had a writing background. There were some fundamentals that you knew. So talk about that, where the film making meets the refinery executive. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to be an artist. My mom was like Etsy before Etsy, you know, making curtains, making her classmates prom dresses. My dad's a painter, among other things. And I knew it was in me. So I was the top track runner in America in high school, at Chester High School. That's so, right. Yeah. <laughs> in the 400 meter dash. So I got recruited by University of Connecticut, UConn. But one day I just wasn't feeling the sport anymore. Freshman year, I walked to my coach's office, Coach Greg Roy. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I think I want to go to SNL <laughs> and be a comedian. So I started doing comedy and college. On the weekend, I performed at the comic strip live in Manhattan. I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) You know what I mean? But can you imagine being the coach? You're the top recruit. They built the program around you. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I just want to know when you knew you could write because comedy, (laughs) writing. Chester's known for like, we're really good at the dozens and stuff like that. I was amongst like many funny people at Chester, Chester High School. Class clown. My wife would tell you she was doing her work while I was just cracking jokes trying to be Eddie Murphy. So I was always writing and doing something. Copying her homework, probably. Right. That yeah, part. Exactly. <laughs> she's a whole yeah. multi hyphenate in herself. I was like, just a right. sneak peek you gave in the quarantine kids. I was like, she got it. She's got that she right. Yeah. No, so it wasn't until there's a place in West Philadelphia I started to go to, maybe 2015, Scribe Video Center. Yes. So Scribe changed my life. And that's what I tell young people. If you have a dream, cross that threshold. I was nervous to go in there and present my story that I had was very raw. That's when I first presented my Paris story based on my Paris wedding and things like that. So if you cross that threshold, the universe, God, whatever you believe in will protect you. So I went there. They teach you how to write. They meet you where you are. They teach you how to edit. And Louis Masai, who's a legend, he's like an Oscar voter, MacArthur genius. He founded the place many years ago. And you go there and they're like, yes, come here. We would teach you. <laughs> so Scribe Video Center. And then it was still 2018. I left a very lucrative job. I told my boss, I'm going to New York and I'm going to learn how to be a writer. <laughs> I went to a writer's room at the uh, Jacob Kruger Studios. The guy that ran in, Jerry Perzegan, he was a writer on Frasier, the Jeffersons. So I learned under a master. So I thought, this is it. I'm a genius. This is it. That was my Kanye moment. <laughs> but yeah. but, uh, but it, it did work out because, you know, there's no money at the time. So I came back to the refinery hat in hand as for my job back. So it wasn't until the explosion a year later in 2019. I was like, okay, this is my time. So that was 2019 with the explosion. That's pretty traumatic, not only for the workers, the people in the community. I remember watching this on the news when all of this took place. 
And then we had the next tragedy. It was the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about at what point did you decide, you know what, I want to document what my daughter is experiencing and also have her involved in the actual process. Quarantine kids. Yes. So for years, I was teaching Bria through Disney movies how to formulate a story. The things that took me forever to learn, like in my 30s. I said, if you want to do this, because she's really funny and creative, I'm going to teach you through Disney movies in a natural, organic way. So I'm like, okay, what is Moana doing now? What's the inciting incident? Okay, Moana made a choice. So I didn't know she was listening. You know, you talk to the kids, you don't know if they're listening. So her pandemic experience was really tough. Virtual school, she's a super extrovert. I saw the signs of depression. So one day I'm in the kitchen and I said, Bria, take this microphone, go in your room and just... Give me a beginning, middle, and end, like the way I taught you with Moana and Lion King, things like that. I didn't know what she was going to come back with. (laughs) I was nervous. I was downstairs while she closed her door. I didn't know what she was doing in there. But she came back. So what you see in the film is her unadulterated. That's her 100%. I didn't say change this. She told a whole full story arc at nine years old at the time. No visuals. You just told her to take the mic, record yourself. No visual. Yep. Tell me your story. Like what happened then? So she had a lot. As you see, she had a lot inside of her because the way my wife is, who's like, we call her little Fauci. Um, I could tell. She you know was like, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. So what you see is she just venting. She held all that in. She went in and I was like, I'm nervous. Like I'm pacing. It was so good. I couldn't believe it. And she don't know what she did. She's like, dad, can I have some Roblox money? Like she came up to me. I said, Bri, do you know what you just did? And she was like, I don't get what the big deal is. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I was like, yeah, this movie's going to be good because you're different. You're like Fauci times 12. You know what I'm saying? So Bilal, have you now realized, and I'm thinking, I'm guessing you realize this after you did Midnight Oil, but are you now realizing that you don't have to search outside of yourself for these stories? Because all your stories come from yes. self in some way. Yes, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking about that for years. I, yeah. Trying to convince people to make things, they would come back with script notes and they'd be like, oh, the plot. I'm like, hold on. I'm just going to tell my story. You can't tell me that's wrong. The plot is off. This is my story. And I think now more than ever, people want authentic content, don't you think? I mean, that's what yours is. Exactly. Exactly. You're right. So I narrowed my audience before I'm trying to impress executives, the person that runs his fellowship. I said, no, no, no. Each film's going to have a purpose. Midnight Oil was about my son and daughter. This is a message to them. I lost my mom when I was six and I don't remember anything about her. I remember her last day. We were in Mississippi at the time. And back then, my dad said video was really expensive. So we don't have any video, maybe a few pictures we have. So this is like a time capsule. Mm -hmm. Oh, my dad thought about climate change, Midnight Oil. What does my dad think about the pandemic? Okay, quarantine kids. So everything I do, I think about them too. My two kids, Noah and Bria, and and that's it. So I narrowed who I was trying to impress. It's a time capsule to keep them warm. So my kids are going to know everything. I started journaling to my daughter in 2013 when she was three. told her everything, everything in my life, so she won't have any questions because I don't remember mom at all. Journaling is so important, Mm -hmm. especially for the next generation. Like, I'm saying that just in case, A, my husband is right in the next room as I'm recording this, and I keep trying to make him write things for our son. You know, memories, and that's cherished, and that will have such a deeper meaning as our kids get older. Just to give y'all a little insight, a journal can change your life. I interviewed Jennifer Lewis a couple of weeks ago. She said, I had a journal every year since I was five. So now when you read my books, I don't need to remember detail. It's in my journal. Exactly. Exactly. So they will have the question, what would my dad think about this? Because these are major things, climate change, the pandemic. I love note to Chester. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the journal helped me when I was still trying to decide what I'm going to do in this filmmaking thing. It helped me. I just bear it all. Like, there's no secrets in my films. So even if it embarrasses me, I know it's good. Like, if I feel uncomfortable and I'm editing it with my film partner, Dan Papa at the Scribe Video Center, if I'm uncomfortable, I know it's good. You mentioned before, not during this interview, but Canada. What, yeah. what's, what's your goal? What are you doing? Tell us about Are that. you leaving us? <laughs> <laughs> it's a debate right now because oh. I'm keeping it real. Uh, a lot of people let me down. I would say in this country, not everybody, but some people let me down. Like they might be friendly to me at work or something, but the way they vote and things like that in 2020 brought a lot to light. And also, I've always been obsessed with being an expat. You know, I'm a huge James Baldwin fan. You know what I mean? So at first it was France. Like that's Paris is my spot. Mm-hmm. But, but you learn some things. Yeah, like we're <laughs> exactly. We're debating Canada. So I'm doing a doc on that. We've been there like five times the last couple months. Which city? Favorite city? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Toronto. <laughs> it gotta be Toronto because that's like the most American friendly city, right? Basically. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. They're awesome up there. It is the clean New York. It's the it clean is, it New is. York. But what do you lose? The documentary is about what do you lose from this culture that we created in America? Yes. Now, they admire us up there. I've learned Yes. A lot this is stop. what I'm saying. Yo, I, yeah. I was going to tell you, Bilal, I've had a deep conversation about being an expat and where I would go. And literally, we came full circle and was like, America. I know. I know because there's nothing like it. We're so admired throughout the world. I studied abroad in college in England. They're just talking to me about our culture. And I was like, it was just amazing. And what we created. Here. I mean, Drake is here. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we definitely <laughs> take it for granted. We do. Yeah. And I think we would probably face the same dilemma that those mm-hmm. expats back in Baldwin's era, they face. Like when things are moving here, the civil rights team were like, man, I'm here. I'm OK over here at the time. But man, it's a lot going on. Baldwin faced that issue. And mm-hmm. I'm not your Negro. He talks about that. Like, yeah, he did work being done in America. So it's a debate. So you received this award and you're now on the podcast. And so now I want to ask you, what does love and grit mean to you? Like I'm not from Philly originally, being from Chester and Mississippi, born in Mississippi. Philly's about love. This is a city that's embraced me first with the refinery. When I, after I left college, working at the IRS on a boulevard, people in Philly are just incredible. I tell people, I was just with friends in Brazil. We're here for the Black Star Film Festival. People in Philly will go out of their way to give you directions. They actually will fight over giving you directions. No, no, you're supposed to take a left on Broad Street. Like they, they don't even have to know you. And honestly, talk about Canada. I have one friend from Toronto who I work with now. It's a nonprofit I work at. He said he was in Philly one week in his neighborhood and he knew all his neighbors. In Toronto, he'd been there his whole life and knew that he doesn't know any of his neighbors. You know what I'm saying? So Philly is yeah. just, it's a beautiful city. Some of the best food in the world. And, that, and that's love to me. And grit is what I learned at the refinery in South Philly. Just that determination. I started there when I was 25. Yeah, just what the old heads taught me, you know, like, no, don't give up, work harder. Go troubleshoot that issue. Don't just settle. What's that grit? Don't give up. Working in the snow, working outside. It's a blue collar city. It's also a white collar city. So it's really is one of the most amazing cities in the world. I just love it here. Okay, so it is clear that Chef Amanda Shulman is doing things her way via her decadent supper club, Her Place. And she is making sure Her Place gives you a dining experience like no other. I'm talking about a beautiful space intimate enough to make you feel like you're having a dinner party with friendly strangers. A menu that may change weekly or maybe daily. Adding in an ever-changing wine selection. Yes, listen, you never know, but you're always pleased at what Chef Amanda and her team create. Imagine that. 
At least that's what we've heard because her place isn't the easiest reservation to lock down since it's become one of the hottest spots in town. So you know how we do. We bring the chef to you. Yeah. So Amanda, you know I'm a fanboy. Thanks, Chef. But I need you to explain to my friends and co-hosts, Rachel and Laia, what you're doing and how it started. In all honesty, it seems like the most basic form of a restaurant when you break it down in the sense that we're really just cooking dinner every night. And I know that sounds silly, but I think things get lost in the restaurant world sometimes. And at the end of the day, we're just making food that we love and feeding it to people. And it is definitely become more than that because I think it's integrity is about the food and the people in the room and the vibe and the atmosphere. And it started very organically. It was just supposed to be a two month pop-up. It was actually gonna be a prepared foods place. And I was gonna do picnic baskets. And then the week before we opened, all restrictions from COVID were lifted. So I was like, oh, I'll just invite my friends and I'll cook dinner because I had been doing a side hustle dinner party business my whole line cook career. And even before I was in professional kitchens, I was doing something like this in college. So it just seemed really normal and not scary to just have people in one room and feeding them the same thing. And it has turned into this. Wait, you were doing this in college. What was your major in school? Political science and journalism. Of course it was. That's what your parents said. Of course it was. <laughs> I'm like, how did you have time Law to school. like Excellent. prepare meals and hosts? I'm a pretty good student and I would just do all my homework two days a week. One of those people. Um, right, right. I'm like, oh. I'm the girl that gets the assignment, I go straight to the library. All my writing classes, I would kind of incorporate into the city and I was interviewing a lot of chefs even back then. And that's actually how I got my first job with the Vetri family. I started working there in college because I interviewed Mark's dad for a profile writing piece and I started working at Amis the next week. So what was it about that interview that made you go, I'm about to change my position in life? He has loved cooking. I grew up in a big Jewish family. Everything revolved around food and I always cooked, but... Being in a professional kitchen was so different and so funny because somebody asked me, you're talking about jobs and I was sitting there, I was like, I've actually never had another job. This is the only job I've ever had besides a couple of internships, which were like food writing and restaurant reviewing things, which I explored that path. But once you're in a restaurant kitchen, it's like everything else seems so lame. Wait, can we talk about that for a second? So Laia and I have a TV show. <laughs> and one of the shows... Wait, this is the first I'm hearing of this. Laia, tell her what our tell show I mean, is. We now know the restaurant industry quite well because we watch Bear. You know, Chef? So Chef, you know, Chef, I think Chef that we... No, I'm just joking. They say Chef every other word in Bear. So I, <laughs> we love the Bear here. Big, oh my the, gosh. So I it. wanted to ask you because you said, oh, wait a minute, it was a brand new world once you were in a professional kitchen but what do we call professional you know how are people speaking to you or how are things lined like they speak to chef like they speak to like, a chef on the show i would define professional as anywhere that serves food as like as an institution a hot dog cart that's professional if you're selling food to someone that's your profession so anything that wasn't me and my house okay illegally selling dinner party tickets so we're not necessarily talking about professionalism where <laughs> <you say. laughs> Because the show, wait a minute, you can call me chef as often as you want, but I don't want you yelling at me, okay? Amanda, any good chef has gotten yelled at, correct? Yeah, 100%. I've definitely gotten yelled at. I've probably yelled too. Zach, I've yelled at you, right? Zach, tell us the truth, Zach. He's rolling puff pastry. 
Oh, Maddie's behind him. That's hi, my- Zach. Hi, Maddie. No, Ray- Rachel, you know better. Hey, Chef Zach. Hey, Chef, hey, Chef Maddie. Well, actually, I'll only respond if you say Jeff. Oh, Jeff. Sorry. So Juliana, who's my right there, my beautiful general manager. Hello, and hello, general Juliana. Manager. She's like a wine whisperer. She's an everything whisperer. So it goes so beyond wine. You guys have wine. like the best wine program right now in Philadelphia, and like shut up. The way you're doing it is so unique. Tell me, tell me, dish, dish. What's the unique part, Julie? Come here. <laughs> I think our wine list is unique because we work with like 13 different purveyors. We try to capture as much of the classic wines that you see, but just maybe things that haven't been presented to the American public in a certain way. We like to carry like classic varietals that are just expressed slightly differently that you can get at a reasonable price. So if you've never had, you know, a Grenache Blanc or Merlot Blanc, we like to have it where you can comment for like $13, have a glass and see if you like it. Mm. I'm here for all of this. Can you tell us, Chef, I was reading about your background. You've cooked everywhere. So based on your travels, how does one decide what's going to be on their menu at their own spot? I cooked Italian food, like hardcore Italian food for a long time. And I love Italian food. I love eating Italian food. I love how simple it is. But everybody cooks Italian food, (laughs) especially in Philly. There's a lot of Italian food. Well, yeah. And I got a little bored by Italian food. And then I went and worked in a French restaurant and that was very life-changing. I fell in love with all French cuisine and the stories and I like the really classic elements of French cooking that are old school sauce based (sighs) and are way too labor intensive to make sense in most cases. (laughs) So it's like, how do I combine the best of both worlds? And sometimes we have very classic straight up old school French dishes on the menu. And then other times I'll kind of take Italian food is classically way lighter so it's like how do i take a little bit of italian and marry it with like a french flavor profile or a technique but yeah it's hard there's a little bit of jewiness thrown in there too i saw so. your schmear schmear smear of this yeah. or schmear. Love schmear. Love schmear. <laughs> a lot of pickles so i know it changes bi-weekly but how far in advance do you plan a menu for a month or two months or like how do you navigate oh, that it- Menu changes every two weeks, and we actually had our menu meeting two hours ago for the menu for the next two weeks. Okay. It used to be when it was just me cooking, it was me on Sunday mornings before I posted the menu, like, frantically being like, I guess I'll cook this next week. But, you know, it's a lot of text messages. It's reading through farmers' produce lists and being like, okay, what ingredients are we getting? What do they have? And what should we do differently? Or... Now we have an archive of recipes and it's fun to look back of like, what was I doing last year with potatoes that we loved and was a hit? What should we do this year? It's like a cheat sheet in a way. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's really cool. But it's also been now that I have amazing people working with me, it's a lot easier to be a little more planful because it's hard to think about next week when you're so in one week. Like I couldn't even imagine. I don't know how I did it. All I can think about is, has anybody ever come in and like, not gotten with the program like i don't want to eat what you're serving we're no restrictions so if people email us and are like i have a nut allergy is this an okay menu and i'll be like oh we actually have no nuts or we can leave nuts off this dish and it doesn't compromise it we will do that and you know we get a lot of people who are pescatarians and if there's a fish main course the menu is going to be very pescatarian friendly otherwise but we get people who email us and are like i'm actually a vegetarian or a vegan And then we say we don't accommodate them and they still come in. 
And it's so awkward. <laughs> I think I just really realized that what you're saying is your menu is one. You got yeah, one option, baby. That's, it. that's the one thing. And if you don't like it, wait two weeks. And so. she says, my restaurant, I don't have to. This is, this yeah. is how I set it up. It's not. Baby, not. I cook with love, but it's the grit because it's what I want to make. Yeah, <laughs> but that's exciting, and that's what makes you unique. Now I'm get just I'm getting it between the wine and the fact that you just need to trust chefs. Well, I like I that. I tell people when they come here, I was like, imagine if you're going to your mom's friend's house for a dinner party. Like you don't know what she's serving. You just show up, and she's gonna cook you food. And if you hate salmon, eat more potatoes or eat the appetizer. Or, or in my case, I'm gonna drink the wine, and then now mm. everything you know is real good. Drink the wine. Exactly. Yes, so yeah. it is definitely an experience but it's also just trust us and if you don't trust us go to every other restaurant in the city and you'll or if they don't trust you you can barely get a reservation to begin with every other sunday when they go up i'm about to ask you justin how hard is it? it's extremely hard no but that's what makes it so special so then it's like look whatever you're serving i'm gonna appreciate because i'm here yeah, special occasion the door it's been an interesting way to run a restaurant <laughs> Once again, we have had great guests, Amanda, or I'm sorry, excuse me, Chef Amanda. You see what I'm, come on, girl, use your bare lessons. Chef Amanda <laughs> was amazing. I love how relaxed she is. And that's the type of host you want if you're going to a dinner party or whatever. Yeah, I'm just anxious to go to her spot. I'm like, I like a chef. That you better try to get a reservation right now then. I know, I'm gonna do it for the fall. Look, things to look forward to in September. <laughs> I know that's right. And then let's talk about Bilal. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I love his story. I love what he did with his daughter. And I'm so happy that they were our first award winners for the Me Love too. and Grit Award. I'm proud. I feel like we're catching him while we can. We do that Absolutely. quite often. We interview people on this show and I'm like, oh, we might not be able to get them in a year because they're going to be gone. They're going to they all the way up. No one can stop them. So big up to Bilal. So, oh, and Rachel, don't forget to remind the people. I'm sorry. I didn't know if you were going to do this, but can you just remind that? the people? about our favorite dope event coming up in September, that Polo Classic, and where they can get all this information so they can make sure they dress right and look cute for me. Yes, so as a reminder, September 24th, the Philadelphia Polo Classic, and check out visitphilly.com to learn more about getting tickets in addition to what to expect, an itinerary, and all of the upcoming things that are taking place in September. Go to visitphilly.com. Thank you for listening. And as Justin would say, leave a review. Tell a friend. Love and grit, <laughs> but only if you have something nice to say. See y'all later. Thank you for listening, man. <laughs> <laughs>